Aaron Peskin has been on the Board of Supervisors for 16 of the last 23 years. This is his fifth non-consecutive term. He's board president again. That might be in part because he's got experience building compromise. There are no moderate or progressive potholes, so to speak. There are potholes, and they need to be filled. That's not to say he doesn't share the frustrations many of his constituents have with how slow the bureaucracy moves through silo departments. Leadership is bringing them in and saying, hey, what are the differences between your departments? By the way, I've been doing that a little bit recently. It's not what a supervisor, it's not kind of in the job description. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. This week, we're talking with District 3 Supervisor and Board President Aaron Peskin. He represents an area that includes North Beach, Chinatown, Fisherman's Wharf, Union Square, and the Financial District. Closing out our series, Soup with the Soups, Peskin says we've forgotten crucial lessons from the pandemic, and that what we need now is collaboration and clear leadership. It is also our final regular episode of the podcast, which sunsets this week as we complete one year. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. We met Supervisor Aaron Peskin in his North Beach office and brought clam chowder, New England style, not Manhattan, though they have both, from a place around the corner called Portofino. So why did you want specifically clam chowder from Portofino's? North Beach, I mean, we have many amazing special neighborhoods in San Francisco, but North Beach is where I've had the pleasure of living for the last third of a century, and I've fallen in love with certain restaurants that are local and are filled with characters and good food. And Portofino, which is a neighborhood creation from a neighborhood character, Frankie Balistrieri. This is piping hot. It's very hot. (laughs) I love it. Usually we like get the soup and then it's cold by the time we we start eating. Let's move on from food talk to supervisor talk. So How do you think San Francisco is doing? Like, what grade would you give the city right now between an A and an F? Well, I think it's more complicated than grading. But look, let's be clear. San Francisco has a lot of challenges. It's also still a wonderful place to be. And I think we have to sort through all of that. And fundamentally, we have to, I think, come to a collective consensus on what those challenges are And then we've got to roll up our sleeves and collectively address them. In some places, we're still an A. And in some places, we're a D. And we've got to, you know, celebrate the A's and focus on where we're not doing better than average or where we're failing. And I think those crises are clear. These are issues that aren't moderate or progressive issues. And I I have to say, I mean, from the mayor to my colleagues, Everybody wants to come together around them, and we need some leadership to do that. We've heard a lot of frustration with the quality of leadership and the achievement of local government in this city. Cynthia brought up one SF Next initiative that really made that clear. So the SF Next project at the Chronicle did a survey of San Francisco residents, not just Chronicle readers. We did it last summer. People weren't thrilled with city government and About 12% of respondents said that the Board of Supervisors was doing a good or excellent job. What is your reaction to that percentage? Being in elected office is definitely not a popularity contest. It's very easy to like your elected representative that 
a majority of voters put into office, in my case, five times, but not like the body, because when you have a diverse democratic body, there's always things to disagree with. There's always somebody not to like. Having said that, I've also watched mayor's numbers and board's numbers over time. Those numbers of 12%, which by the way, there are other polls that show it higher numbers and what have you, are still lower than they've been in the past. And I think that that's what bears examination. The survey results and other sources seem to indicate that there's a public perception that the Board of Supervisors and the mayor have been struggling to agree on things, which keeps them from getting things done that will move the needle. Paskin has a reputation for figuring out compromises in order to get things done. I wanted to know how he does that. To illustrate, he took us back to 2020, early in the pandemic, when so much was still unknown about the novel coronavirus. The interesting thing about the pandemic from a governance standpoint is the fact that there were no rules. When the governor declared an emergency and the mayor and the chief health officer declared an emergency, we were able to make decisions without meetings. I mean, it was an emergency situation. It's interesting to me that, and and we performed very well when we saw that scores of kids were not having access to education. We stood up education hubs. These things were done in Saturday meetings between the mayor and her staff and department heads and myself and then president of the board, Norman Yee. And there was no rancor. We were able to deploy food all over the city for people who are homebound. We were able to activate different nonprofits and city agencies to distribute food. It was quite impressive to me. And now I'm going to get to your answer, which is we then went back to the old ways of the normal kind of way that governments work. We've got some lessons that we have got to relearn from the pandemic about how to get things done. I actually have a lot of optimism in this moment, which is this is actually an opportunity to revisit and reimagine processes in government, reimagine a downtown, which, by the way, there's broad consensus on. I had a version, the mayor had a version. Why compete over a version? We don't have time for that. And it will be before the Board of Supervisors in a couple of weeks. And I guarantee you that it will become law on a unanimous vote. By the way, we recorded this a few weeks ago. He was right. It passed unanimously last Tuesday. That's, I mean, politics is the art of the possible. And we have a moment because of the challenges that we face to rethink and revisit things. You know, I share the same frustrations that my constituents share about why does it take so long to get this obvious thing done? And why did the laws evolve that way? They didn't evolve that way overnight. Many of these, most of these laws have accumulated over generations. I mean, they've accumulated over 150 years. And they all actually had some sensible rationale at their beginning. You yourself have pointed out, I think this was after in the announcement about the downtown plan that you put forward, is that you can make all the laws you want. If the building department still takes 600 days on average to you know, get those permits out the door, we're still in trouble. Absolutely correct. And it also frustrates me as a supervisor when whether... It's a neighborhood person who's trying to make a basic home improvement or whether it's a developer who has gotten a, you know, permission to build a new development is going through that process. And 
Yes, I pick up the phone and yes, I call the building department and say, why is this taking so long? And I always think to myself, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And the answer is there are opportunities from leadership to coordinate. Same thing around the fentanyl crisis, which is you've got to bring in the police department. You've got to bring in the Department of Public Health. You cannot just assume that they are going to all find each other out there. They live in their silos. Leadership is bringing them in and saying, hey, how? what are the differences between your departments? Why are these things not happening? By the way, I've been doing that a little bit recently. It's not what a supervisor, it's not kind of in the job description, but I've been bringing together the Chamber of Commerce and Advanced SF and the Downtown Partnership saying, let's talk about what these ideas are. Where are the sticking points? And collectively doing that. So a lot of this is just about coordination and leadership. And you've got to have people back the next week to say, how's it going? And check in with them. So if that's not part of your job, technically speaking, why is it falling to you? Look, we're all in it together, I think to a certain extent. And this happened a little bit when I was president in the late 2000s, 2005 to 2009. People want some level of leadership and instruction. And when the chief executive is busy or otherwise disposed, they find their way to you. Or, I mean, I'm not speaking ill of my colleagues. I mean, look, this is not a time for division. Going back to the when I became president a hundred and some odd days ago, which was a little serendipitous and not planned. And I certainly not planned insofar as I did not, unlike the other two times that I became board president, have a speech prepared. <laughs> you also probably weren't planning to get elected after 17 votes. Uh, right. This was at the beginning of the year when the new board of supervisors had to select a president and couldn't agree. It was right after Congress had failed to pick a speaker after more than a dozen votes. So it didn't look good. So why did Peskin, who wasn't even nominated, jump into the fray after 10 votes? His answer, after a break. Cynthia and I have been talking with Supervisor Aaron Peskin. He became board president early this year. Here's the thing. Nobody had nominated him, and he hadn't planned on trying to get elected. But after 10 rounds of voting... He nominated himself. I wanted to know, why on earth did he do this? I'd done the job before. We weren't unified at that moment when I nominated myself, which is a weird thing to do. Generally, other people nominate somebody. Not only were we stuck, and not only was it becoming embarrassing, particularly because it was just right after the 15 rounds for McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, mean, I emerged from that contest and all of a sudden had to walk up to the president's dais and say something. And what I said was this. I mean, this is a moment in San Francisco where we don't have the luxury of partisanship. There are no moderate or progressive potholes, so to speak. There are potholes and they need to be filled and we need to come together. We did that during the pandemic. We somehow forgot those lessons. This is, I understand that our system of government, and it's a healthy thing, is designed around checks and balances. The legislative branch is supposed to check the excesses of the executive branch, and the judicial branch is supposed to check the excesses of the legislative branch, and that's the tripartite separations. 
this is not that time. This is the time to come together because we have some very real challenges. We have challenges around public safety. We've got challenges around a humanitarian homeless crisis and drug you know, crisis and, and employment and the economy. So it's just time to come together. Yes, that doesn't mean we abdicate our responsibility of being a check and balance, but that becomes secondary. I was speaking at the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, and I said, if there's this moment is not an easy one, and and it's not a fun one. But if there's one thing that this moment has brought about is I think a lot of people, including elected officials, took certain things for granted. I mean, tourism industry, it's the goose that lays the golden egg in San Francisco. But I took it for granted. And I took the dollars that it provides to government and government programs kind of for granted until it was under a lot of stress. And so it's time to, it's created a venue for relationships that didn't normally exist where number one, I feel like as a city leader, and this might sound corny, but it's totally true. I feel like I have more of a role in celebrating things, in thanking people for what they do and what their organizations do. We don't thank our best employees enough publicly. I feel like we have that responsibility now more than ever. And we have that responsibility now to treat each other with a heightened level of respect. Politics can be, you know, a rough contact sport. Time to put that in the parking lot too. What you have mentioned now twice lessons from the pandemic that we seem to have forgotten. What are they? One, I think we learned that we can all come together in an emergency. And that emergency was very obvious. There are other things that we have declared to be emergencies, both as matters of law or that we consider to be a crisis, although there hasn't been an official emergency declaration with the powers that inure to the government but we haven't been treating them like an emergency. That's a lesson that we have to learn. I mean, we declared, the mayor declared a tenderloin emergency, and then the city kind of lost its focus. It's not fixed. It's not fixed. I worked there. You used to live there. It is not fixed. It is still a humanitarian crisis. There are spots of great beauty in that neighborhood. I mean, I wandered into little Saigon. It's, you know, lovely and there are beautiful stories and there are beautiful people, but it is not fixed. It is still a crisis. If we declare it to be a crisis, we all have to come together and treat it like a crisis until it's no longer a crisis. We saw during the pandemic what coordination actually looks like. We stopped taking people for granted at that time. I mean, because life and relationships became so precious under that kind of crushing uncertainty. I think it reminded us of everything, how good we could be, that we're still the city that knows how. Let's not lose those lessons. Let's recreate those lessons. We have, the the challenges are a little bit different. They're out of the world of public health. By the way, we also learned, I mean, what we could do in a homeless crisis. The city now has to contend with a lot of different challenges beyond homelessness, like the sluggish recovery of downtown. But I wanted to ask Peskin about Chinatown, which is in the news less frequently. That neighborhood, too, faced serious challenges during the pandemic. 
I wanted to know what the supervisor is worried and hopeful about now in Chinatown. Some of this for me is public policy. Some for, of it for me is very personal and very personal because it's such an amazing neighborhood. This is a neighborhood that before the 1906 earthquake, its roots were in ghettoization, its roots were in discrimination. As a result of that, this neighborhood built a set of institutions over a hundred years ago that thrive to this day, that were built around taking care of each other. I have more optimism about Chinatown's resilience than virtually any other neighborhood in San Francisco. This is a neighborhood that was at the cutting edge of determining their own future when in the mid-1980s, many, many years before I was on the board of supervisors, I think I had just gotten out of college, they convinced City Hall to rezone that neighborhood to stop the encroachment of downtown office buildings that were gobbling up Chinatown, which is not to say that they don't have challenges. I mean, the anti-Asian hate, 100% real. I see the effects of that. Stores closed now earlier than they ever have since I was first elected in office. It's a tragedy, but this is a community that has each other's backs. And, and I have to say, I think the mayor cares. I think the board cares. They, I think we all know that we have something special. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, just even in all of this, this is a community that has made strides, actually serves as an example to what we need to be doing downtown, that this entire community came together to open a nonprofit arts complex in the middle of this pandemic. And that's exact. I want to take that and show that we can do that downtown. There are other downtowns, I'm sure you've traveled to them, that actually do have residential and do have destination arts and culture where there are aspects of a neighborhood. The downtown that I worked in when I got my first job in San Francisco in 1985 was when work was over, I mean, maybe went to a local bar for an hour, but downtown, the sidewalks rolled up at, you know, seven o'clock. If you wanted to go have fun, you went to North Beach or you went to the Castro. I mean, we've never had a vibrant downtown outside of working hours. This is an opportunity to do that. Great. Lightning round. All right. Here we go. What keeps you up at night? I have to say that Speaking in front of large crowds, even though I have been doing this for 23 years, still makes me nervous and still gets my heart beating and I still end up with a lump in my throat. It's kind of like what I do in the mornings. It's like swimming in the bay. It's always just cold as hell when you get in. But once you get in, you acclimate and then you start swimming and you forget about it. So I get nervous before, I mean, if, if there's a small room of folks, I'm always fine and comfortable when I'm looking out at a couple hundred people, it's just, it never gets any easier. But also I think you're crazy for jumping in the bay all the time. That's not, I, <laughs> sorry. You know, I, I, I have to say one of the things that made me, and I think a lot, a lot of people very happy, and this is not by way of trying to curry any favor, but this Chronicle poll about the different <laughs> animals 
oh, was yes. reminded people about how special San Francisco is and how we have nature all around us. It reminded us how special things are in this city. I want to reconnect people with that. All we right. got to have some fun. We got to have some levity. Okay, next question. Is there a policy or idea that you really like that was proposed by someone you generally disagree with? Well, first of all, I have to say I get my best ideas, not from between these two ears, but usually from other people who are smarter than me. And then when you're around, as long as I've been around, I've been on, I've had enemies who became friends. I've had friends who have become detractors. I actually, as I've gotten older and as I stopped drinking, I've realized that none of these things are permanent. I had a conversation last night at 8.45 with the mayor about an idea that I got from somebody who I've been on both sides with, a former mayor, Art Agnos, about the notion of trying to at least explore, if not actually realize, having the expansion of the UCSF Parnassus campus be reconsidered to move it downtown. Mm. And I said, I'm going to call the mayor and I'm going to call you back. And I called her at 845 last night and she was like, yeah, he called me too. Let's get together and see if we can make this happen. All right. Last one. Last one. If you had magic powers, total control of the city for one day, you were king of San Francisco, what would you fix? All forms of infrastructure. I'm talking about everything from our urban tree canopy to sidewalk maintenance to street repaving. These are the commons that glue this city together. If I could wave my magic wand, I would pave all of our streets that have a street index score of less than 75. I would plant every empty tree basin in San Francisco. We are not as good as most American cities relative to an urban tree canopy. It is the right thing during climate change. That would be my answer. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was Supervisor and Board President Aaron Peskin. And that's the end of our series. We've talked with 10 of the 11 supervisors on the board. Supervisor Shimon Walton was the only one to reject our request. With that, we're closing out the show. It's been a fascinating and wild ride over the last year, but this is the final episode of Fixing Our City. Thank you to Jonathan Krim and King Kaufman for their guidance, and to you for listening. You can hear Fixing Our City-esque episodes under the banner of the Chronicle's flagship show, Fifth and Mission. That's where I'm headed, along with our audio engineer, Gary Baca. As for me, I'm headed back to Sacramento for a new role. So, for the last time in a while, I'm Cynthia Lopez. And I'm Laura Wenes. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext. <laughs>